ready to start, restart, or re-energize your vegan or plant-based practice, you're in the right place. I'm Michelle Olander, and this is Veg Your Best. Episode 179, The Latina Health Coach, Carla Salinari. And just like that, it's February, Veg Your Besties. February, February 2024. And we have our first Veg Your Best interview of the year. You know, the January episodes were full of me, full of me, sharing my personal experiences with goals and goal setting and how creating a vegan practice in my 50s, uh, developing vegan and plant-based habits, how that changed my life and how it changed the direction of my life and made, I would say, every single aspect of my life more intentional and positive. And today we have a conversation, talk about positive with Carla Salinari, the Latina health coach. Carla is the author of Abuela's Plant-Based Kitchen, vegan cuisine inspired by Latin and Caribbean family recipes. You will hear Carla's unique experience of growing up with a vegan father and converting or flipping traditional Latin American and Caribbean dishes into healthy plant-based recipes that always honor the traditions and flavors of her culture. And, you know, it's that respect for and pride in community that has evolved into Carla's work as a certified holistic health coach with a private practice, a member of Next Level Urgent Care, Houston's telehealth team, and now an online community called the Plant-Based Health Academy. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Carla Salinari, and you'll hear just why. She's such a popular TV guest expert on NBC and Telemundo. And as you listen, I'd like to challenge you to think about what parts of your culture and community and family might not be quite as difficult as you're expecting as you move in a vegan or plant-based direction. Okay, I'll catch up with you on the other side of the interview. Carla Salinari, author, holistic health coach, so much more. Welcome. Welcome to Veg Your Best. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. It's such a pleasure for me as well. I've been looking at your, your cookbook. That's the where I know you mostly from. Your book is Abuela's Plant-Based Kitchen, Vegan Cuisine Inspired by Latin and Caribbean Family Recipes. It's a long title and a beautiful title because I think it's something people love, this idea of family recipes and how do we make them work for us and it, with, our, with our ethics and with our health concerns and with our environmental concerns. So right. I, I want to just plunge into everything. But first of all, I want to talk about how you got to this place of working with plant-based recipes and uh, being a vegan educator. Yes. So... My story is an interesting one. So my, I was born into a vegan household. Um, I am from Puerto Rico and vegan plant-based and Puerto Rico doesn't like, isn't usually something that you, that you have in the same sentence, right? 
my father has been vegan since 1975 when the movement in Puerto Rico and other parts of uh, the Caribbean, Central uh, Latin America wasn't something that was recognized, much less accepted, right? But, you know, my father since early on really believed that this lifestyle was the healthiest lifestyle. And when I was born, I was just kind of like born into it. Now, as I got older, unfortunately, my parents divorced, my mom remarried, and I fell back into into a more conventional way of eating when I was with my mom. But when I came back to visit my father in Puerto Rico, I would go back to the plant-based lifestyle. Um, still to this day, my father um, continues to follow the lifestyle. All of my father's side of the family um, has been vegan for many, many years. Um, in fact, they had the first vegetarian restaurant in Puerto Rico in the 90s. And it lasted for about five years. Unfortunately, Puerto Rico wasn't ready for for that yet. Um, and the restaurant shut down. But what the restaurant did is that they up they flipped what we we like to use the word flip they flipped a lot of the uh cultural dishes in puerto rico into vegan alternatives and that's basically what it was the name of the restaurant was called comida vegetariana which just translates into vegetarian food and it was that and my family spent a long time um, transforming these family uh, traditional recipes into um, plant-based alternatives. And, and I like to use the term plant-based a little bit more than, than vegan, because I think that that vegan kind of limits us a little bit. And for us, plant-based is, is a more, or we, we consider it a more um, whole, like more holistic approach to nutrition where we focus on whole foods rather than ultra processed foods. Um, so I will like to use plant-based. So we, we turned our, all of our cultural dishes into plant-based alternatives without sacrificing flavors, without sacrificing textures. And these recipes have been circulating in our family for a very, very long time. And, um, after I moved on to college and grew up and kind of was able to make my own decisions, I went back to the plant-based lifestyle. And it suits me. It's what I'm used to. It's what feels good to me. And um, I knew that I wanted to turn turn this into a, in, a job, maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe a profession, maybe a, a way, a vehicle of helping so much of the Latin community implement healthier ways of eating without feeling like they were abandoning their cultures or their traditions or memories, right? Um, there is so much attachment, emotional attachment to our foods. And and that was very important. So, you know, went to nutrition school, um, became a certified holistic health coach. And, and I started to share my family's recipes and they were so well received and the community loved them. So many people couldn't believe that we were able to recreate such popular traditional recipes into alternatives that were actually healthy for them and made them feel good. And that's where this kind of all started.
Then during the pandemic, I decided that I wanted to write a cookbook of these recipes for a lot of reasons. Reason number one is because I wanted to share with our community that it is possible to continue to enjoy our traditional recipes in a healthier way. And two, because I wanted to continue to keep these recipes alive, um, a legacy for my family, if you will. And we, my mother, my aunt, my father, and myself, all located in different parts of the country, came together virtually to taste test these 75 recipes and create what now became Abuela's Plant-Based Kitchen, published by Simon & Schuster, and uh, such well received by the community. So, so that's a short uh, cliff note version of how this project came to be. And you know, um, Michelle, we are living in a time where people are waking up to the movement because they know that it's the healthiest approach to not only reducing the risk of so many food related conditions, but also to um, you know promoting longevity which I think is now something that so many people are focused on is how can I prevent food-related conditions rather than treating them when it's a little too late. So the book has been so well-received. Um, it's the first print print run sold out uh, a few months after it was released. And I share that not, not to pat myself on the back, um, although I do think we put together a beautiful book, but but also because it shows the importance of it and it, it, it not only the importance of it, but, but how much people need this. Right. So that is the story of how the book came about. Well, I'm glad you took that little victory lap at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I I'm really glad because I do think um, all these successes, uh, they demonstrate that there's really an audience for this information. There's an mm-hmm. audience, there's people who, um, even if they don't necessarily want buy-in right exactly the same way we think maybe they could or should or would, um, there's people want to lean into it. They want to know more about it. They want to figure out how is it going to work for my family and for my culture and for my grandchildren or my grandparents, depending on. And I think we should just remind everybody, in case they don't know, abuela means grandmother in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so Abuela's plant-based kitchen, it's a, it's a nod to your actual grandmother and your actual family. So, and, and I think that is something that keeps a lot of, uh, a lot of people on edge about leaning more deeply into a plant-based lifestyle because they think this is going to separate me. This is going to, um, this is going to be a bone of contention when I visit my abuela or my babcha in my, in my family. Um, sure. So what what do you say to people in terms of that part of it? How do you navigate some of that reticence, that little, that discomfort about, well, but you know, this is what we do at Christmas or at the the birthdays. Yes. So, so I think it's important to highlight that at least as speaking of uh, Latin food, particularly Puerto Rican food, traditionally the food wasn't as meat heavy as it is now, you know, back in the day, the average the average family didn't have the resources or the means to acquire so such a large amount of animal protein right so most of the foods that they consumed were plant based right because it's what they were able to grow themselves and you know um and provide for their families so 
and I and I like to use the term, let's go back to basics. What were our ancestors eating? Right. You know, for a lot of our ancestors is whatever we had outside. And that was usually root vegetables and plantains and herbs and fruits and things like that. And and that's how how we ate, right? So that's that's something that's really important to to remind people and to highlight. Now, unfortunately, as time went on and families got busier and women started working outside of the home, it became a little bit more about convenience, right? And we kind of start we lost we lost some of that, right? Um, but that like farm to table, and you know, it is possible to have our traditional dishes without the meat. Right. A staple in in Latin foods is rice and beans, you know, it, and it's and it's a complete protein. It has all the essential amino acids our bodies can produce on its own. It's um, it's what families have lived on for for centuries and centuries. Right. So so I think it's really important to highlight that people can choose to consume animal protein if they wish, but they don't have to. And I think that's something that's really important to understand. I think diet culture has done a really good job at convincing so many people that you have to have protein from animal sources when we now know that that's not the case. So I think providing that level of education is really important. Um, And it's because it's not spoken about enough. And, And I think that, you know, sharing that, with the community and having our community communicate that to family when they ask, I think it's a great starting point, right? You know, just saying, hey, listen, like beans have lots of fiber and they have protein. They also have antioxidants, right? Brown rice is so rich in fiber. Plantains have a great amount of magnesium and potassium and just building that awareness around the nutrients that the foods have as a way of also explaining like, hey, you don't need to have the meat, right? And here is a a delicious example of a nutrient-dense plate that is completely plant-based. And, you know, I I often get the feedback is, wow, I don't miss the meat. It doesn't, I don't miss it. I, I feel satisfied. I feel good. I feel energized. I don't feel bloated. And I think that you know, sharing that information helps to kind of ease the transition and also helps people understand, right? I think that's really important. I think that's beautiful, Carla. I think I think sometimes these grandparents get a bad rap from their yeah. kids and grandkids that they're too, that they can't explain anything to them or say what they're trying to do. Because mostly, if somebody in your family changes drastically some of their choices, you're going to be concerned at first, right? Your first sure. thing will be, why? What's going on? Why do you want to do that? It's not necessarily condemnation, though it might sound like it when you say, why? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. But but I think that let's please t- treat our, our, our abuelas and our grandmothers with uh, some respect. Explain to them what you're trying to do. I, I bet you m- many more of them are on board. I get a little annoyed sometimes. People go, well, what would I eat at my grandmother's house? I'm like, why don't you talk to her? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I always love to recommend, like, make a delicious plant-based dish and share it. And while you're sharing and talk about the wonderful health benefits that it has. Chances are people are going to try it and they're going to really enjoy it. And, you know, uh, I have had many patients and clients said, oh, I made this beautiful casserole and, you know, everybody ate the cast, the plant-based casserole and kind of like, you know, pushed the meat aside and they just enjoyed it and they felt lighter yet 
yet full enough where they felt energized and you know, so that is often the feedback that we get, which is so wonderful because I think that losing that fear around food um, is is the first step into into making the transition and and understanding how we should eat and how we should build a plate in order to achieve the nutrients that are needed to have our bodies thrive. I think that's that's such an important factor. And then once we start establishing that, the transition becomes easier. And it also becomes easier to explain to other people why we're making the transition. And who knows, you know, we might plant the seed and other people might benefit from it. And we can create a ripple effect, which is which is a, an amazing goal, right? Yeah, that is that is that is the goal is the ripple effect in terms of health and our environment in terms of our lifestyles. That's right. What what is um and also you know I think I think most abuelas would be very very flattered to know that you've come to them and saying I don't want to put meat in it but I want to have all the taste. I love that dish. I love the memories. I want to eat this with you and with my grandchildren someday. So I mean I think what a, what a legacy we're allowing our 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 elders to have in our lives just just because we choose to make it a little bit differently, different nutritionally. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. And I'll give you an example, Michelle. In Puerto Rico, during the holidays, uh, during Christmas, we make pasteles. Now, pasteles is what they're called. They look like um, they're similar to um, a tamal, right, in Mexican culture. But in Mexican culture, they're made from corn. We make them from root vegetables. So we make them from... Yautia, platano. So these are root vegetables, plantains, things like that. And it's time consuming, right? And usually the way that it's done is there's an assembly line, you know, and the matriarch of the family, the you know, is the one who leads the way and tells us what to do. And, and because everybody's usually assigned a task, right? It becomes a family activity that so many people grew up doing, right? Now, one of the recipes that I've shared through the cooking classes that I host is this recipe of pasteles, right? And we talk about, you know, oh, did did your grandmother use the banana leaf to wrap the ingredients together? Because usually that's what it is, right? You create kind of like a batter. That batter gets filled in this case with vegetables, but traditionally with meat. And then you wrap the mixture in a banana leaf and you boil it and, you know, it becomes harder and easier to cut and eat, right? So everybody's family has a different technique and you build community around that. You share memories, you share traditions. Like there's so much, something to be said about the aroma that fills your home when you're when you're making these delicious recipes, right? It, it connects us to our tradition. It connects us to our culture. It brings us so much joy and happiness, but we're just altering the recipe a little bit, Right? Because like I was saying before, traditionally, it wasn't all meat heavy, right? You know, um, so so just reminding us that, reminding the community that we could still enjoy all of these recipes and make new memories, right? While keeping Abuela's recipes alive, the way that she, you know, set the table and prepared the assembly line and got everybody in the family included in the process, like, 
we're keeping those traditions alive. And I think that that's what really matters, right? I think that that's what people really want. They don't want to give up the traditions. And then when they see that you can still have these traditions and all you did was tweak the recipe just a little bit, people are like, oh, wow, yes. And it be, they become excited about it and they're, they're you know, they want to do it and then they want to get other people involved as well. So, so that's really great. I think that's a marvelous visual in in, in Polish uh, holidays. We we tend to have these same sorts of um, in in a big family the same sorts of assembly line with making the the pierogies, the stuffed uh-huh. uh, the stuffed dumplings, or or the goampki, the stuffed cabbage. So it's that same kind of thing where you can't make it for you know dozens of people unless everybody kind of helps you do that for the efficiency. And that's the memory, right? That's the holiday right. is being together. Absolutely. I just got goosebumps when you said that because it's so true. It's so, so true. Yeah. The um now some of those those recipes I, I was looking through again today, and there's like uh, there are three, I think I put three that I really want to try. These are from Abuela's plant-based kitchen. Um, the lentil picadillo, mm-hmm. which looks t- fantastic. The mushroom uh ropa vieja. Mm-hmm. That, that looked great. And I've this has been on my list different kinds, but you 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 have a recipe for making a vegan bacon in quotes from shiitake mushrooms. That seems like something I want to try. Yes. So so the the BL, VLT is is what we call the recipe in the book. That is a more you know um, new age True. modern recipe that did not come from Abuela's kitchen, but it did come from. The restaurant my aunt and uncle had back then, because they used to make VLTs, but back then they used to make them with a meat substitute called Wellington. I don't know if you remember that from like the 80s and the 90s. It was like one of the first um, mock meat companies that came out. Uh, I don't even think that they exist anymore. But anyway, they would make these VLTs, but with that, uh, mock meat. And it was, uh, I think it was like pea protein or chickpea, chickpea flour. But the way that they gave it the flavor was through a combination of liquid smoke and it's some soy sauce and it's a tiny bit of maple syrup. And it's, um, you know, so, so a few ingredients like that. And then you can, because mushrooms absorb, moisture so much the flavors really get in there and then once you sear it and then you place it in the oven right they kind of caramelize with those flavors and if you create a beautiful sandwich where you add beautiful tomato and greens and you know it just it's such a delightful treat and the flavor is there Right. So that that recipe is so wonderful. It's one of my husband's favorite recipes because there's so much more he can do with the bacon. We'll call it we'll call it that for lack of a better term. And, you know, he adds it to his salads and he just finds it as such a versatile addition. And and he always says, I don't miss the bacon. This is so great, which, you know, I hear time and time again. And so that's one of the recipes. Roma Vieja is actually inspired by uh, my upbringing in Miami. Uh, Miami has a large Cuban population and it's very, very popular dish where it's made from shredded flank steak. So for this recipe, the only thing we changed in the recipe was we swapped the steak for king oyster mushrooms. And 
the process of turning the mushrooms into shredded meat was just using two forks and gently kind of breaking apart the stem of the mushroom, dehydrating them so that they don't lose the texture and become soggy. But everything else in the recipe is exactly how it's made traditionally, right? So that's the only thing we changed. And that is definitely one of those recipes that has a wow factor, right? When anybody tries it, they're like, I cannot believe this is it meat because the shreds are so similar. The texture is so similar. The flavors are so similar. And the other recipe is also a Cuban inspired recipe. Picadillo is also a traditional Cuban dish. And it's just ground up meat that is made with potatoes and peppers and everything outside of the meat is all plant-based, right? So it's the potatoes and the olives and the roasted red peppers and, you know, the garlic and the onions. So we use lentils instead. So it's hearty because of the fiber and the plant protein that that is provided by the lentils. And it's also such a versatile dish. You can have it as the Cuban style picadillo with accompanied by sweet plantains and perhaps some white rice, right? But you can also use it in so many other recipes. You can make sandwiches with it. You can use it to stuff taco shells. You can make empanadas with it as well. And that's some. That's a lot of what I talk about in the book. It's like you can really take these recipes and 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 use them in so many different ways, right? So it's not just one recipe that you make. It's a simple recipe that can be incorporated into so many other recipes so once you get the hang of it you really can turn it into a versatile recipe that you can um, incorporate other ways well i noticed that uh, most of the recipes i looked at were a limit they weren't endless ingredients they were not these really overwhelming um, recipes which when i see something that that has 14 ingredients 25 ingredients i start going well maybe not this week (laughs) i i I, I punt that one we'll punt that one for a little another time but no your recipes look great they look so organized and beautiful um now a recipe that was well a menu item when i was in in um in Puerto Rico a few times. Is it mofongo? Is that yes. how you say it? Yes. I did, that's not, nice. I did not see that in your book per se, but maybe I was wondering if maybe there's another name you have for something that's similar to that or whether that's just a, um, for another book. <laughs> I, I That is for another book, Michelle. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, so we did not put mofongo in the book. Um, we stuck with m- most of the recipes that, our family had at the restaurant. And, um, but to your point, mofongo is another, uh, another wonderful recipe that it's very easy, can, can very easily be made, turned into a plant-based alternative. And I'll explain to you. So basically the way that you make mofongo is you fry the, the green plantains, the very ripe, long plantains, and then you mash them and you add olive oil and garlic and, for those that that consume it with meat, then it kind of gets stuck. It almost looks like a cave that's hollow inside. So the outside of, of that cave would be the mashed plantains, but you can make it with sauteed mushrooms and peppers, or you can make it with, you know, soy meat, or you can make it with mushrooms. And, you know, it, it's all about, again, it's all about the flavors and that combination of a saucy, 
um, vegetable side that goes along with the plantain. So yes, mofongo is another delicious recipe. And now, you know, you brought up um, that you might have tried that in Puerto Rico. There are so many vegan restaurants in Puerto Rico now. And, you know, it, it is so amazing to see all of these talented chefs from the island recreating some of our traditional plates into these beautiful plant-based masterpieces. And, you know, I, I often joke with my dad because for a very long time, they were not able to go out to eat. It was very, it was impossible for them to go to a restaurant and say, Hey, listen, we don't eat meat or, you know, we don't have chicken stock or beef stock. And, you know, and they just wouldn't eat. And, you know, my father will say, he's like, people used to laugh at us and they wouldn't be lenient and they wouldn't help us. And now it's so different. And it's so wonderful to be able to go to the island and say, hey, I want to continue to enjoy these recipes, but can you just please, you know, hold the meat? So tell us now. So I, I think everybody's gotten gotten some um, a taste of what you have on offer in the book, mm -hmm. uh, Abuela's Plant-Based uh, Kitchen. Tell me a little about your practice, your work as a uh, as somebody helping more and more people choose a more and more plant-based lifestyle and, and nutritional profile. Of course. And that's a great question because it's one that is really important to. So when I started this, when I started this, um, I was just sharing recipes mm -hmm. and I was, you know, teaching people how to, you know, flip one recipe into something that could be healthier. But then slowly I started to be, to, to get be contacted by people that were reaching out to me saying, Hey, you know, my doctor said I have high levels of cholesterol and I should really reduce the, the overconsumption of, you know, processed meat or meats that are high in trans fat, things like that. And I started to get more and more requests for that. And it, then the Latina health coach community started kind of changing from a place where people would go for delicious, easy recipes to more of a place where people are going to because they were diagnosed with something, right? And and the way that that then I start, I I implemented a practice, you know, having the credentials and having you know the the certifications to do so, is that I started taking clients and we would work on what their specific needs were and what their goals were based on whether their doctor was telling them that they had to change something or whether they were just kind of tired of trying to make changes on their own, but felt too scared and too overwhelmed to do it on their own. And it slowly started to grow that way. So something that just was just me sharing recipes over the past five years has turned more into me helping people transition, right? And I think that a lot of the feedback that I get from the community is the internet is so overwhelming. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to try. The recipes look complicated. You know, I, I my family doesn't think I should be doing this. And that's how it started. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, most of the Latin community, which is the community that I work with, um, are either pre-diabetic or they're diabetic and have been on diabetes medication for a very long time. 
have high levels of cholesterol or are obese or have high levels of of um, of blood pressure, right? Their blood pressure. All of this is kind of intertwined, as you know. So once they start dropping the weight, they start regulating their blood sugar levels, their cholesterol. So, so it's all kind of like a package deal. And the way that I help my patients is that we take it slowly. We identify what their goals are. And then we start implementing change in a way that is gradual. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, I don't recommend going plant-based overnight. It's a very, It should be done in a gradual way because it's important that people understand the why of the changes that they're making and also that they allow themselves time to adapt their palates, to adapt to different flavor combinations and to adapt to different textures. And that doesn't happen overnight. And I think if we expect it to, we, we can lose some patients in the process. Like they'll be like, this is too complicated. I don't know how to build a plate. So we take it with a very slow approach. I teach them, you know, this is how to create a, a balanced plate. This is what you should be eating. These are some simple ways you can be cooking them. And, you know, the results are in their lab work, right? So usually what I tell my patients is, let's give me three months to work with you. And then we can get your labs rechecked and you know, 70, 80%, I would dare to say, see really positive changes in their lab work, right? Um, so I do it as private practice, but I earlier in 2023, I joined a practice in Houston as um, one of the nutritionists on their team. And I work with patients that are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. I now am recognized um, as a healthcare provider. I'm certified by the CDC. So I am certified to lead diabetes prevention courses as well. So my job has kind of morphed into more of a healthcare professional slash nutrition educator, because that is where it's needed the most. So the way that I teach my patients, the way that I lead my clients is slow changes, how to do it in a way that seems relatable, using ingredients that they are familiar with, um, starting with textures that are easy to adapt to, and then we build from there slowly, 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 until they feel like they've kind of gotten a handle on this, and then they can do it on their own. So it's, it's a very gradual process, but wow, is it a rewarding process? I bet. I bet. Because I think most people who've spent some time in a plant-based lifestyle, we can't believe how our tastes have changed. It's so incredible. I'll give you a, a, I'll share a story. I had a patient come to me a few months ago the patient received lab work that showed high levels of A1C. A1C is your blood glucose, your blood glucose levels, high levels of cholesterol, high levels of um, his blood pressure was through the roof. And um, he's like, I don't know where to start. You know, I go to the supermarket and everything has sugar. I go to the, so it's like, that is a perfect example of how people kind of like are given this diagnosis and the doctor's like, okay, go make healthy changes. And listen, there's a lot to say about, um, our doctors are so inundated with patients. They don't have the time 
to sit with the patient, not that they don't want to, they just don't have the time. And, you know, the patient gets this diagnosis, which is can be incredibly frightening, right? And then they go into a supermarket and then they don't know what to do, right? So the first thing that I told this patient to eliminate was sugary drinks over ultra processed foods. That's it. I kid you not, Michelle. He came to me three weeks later and said, I had a sip of my daughter's Gatorade and could barely swallow it because it was so sweet and it was so pungent and I couldn't stand it. And in just a short amount of time. And this is what I continue to communicate to the community. And that is we are adaptable creatures. Like our taste buds change. Our gut microbiome is constantly changing. Like, and sometimes we don't know how good we can feel how good our bodies are able to feel until we really implement these changes and give it a chance, right? I have had patients that say to me, I have so much energy, I don't know what to do with it. I sleep so soundly, I wake up and I feel like I could conquer the world. And I think people really need to experience these, these for themselves in order to really understand what I know you and I know what I'm talking about, right? Like having a meal and saying, I, I feel amazing rather than, oh, I'm so bloated. I'm so full. I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah, no, Carla, I think that's something every once in a while I have to say to people, just you don't have to trust me about much, but do trust me that you will, your taste will change because people will oh, yeah. say, I, I just don't like greens. I just don't like them. I don't like beans. And and I always say, please don't now eat four cups of beans today. If you've never liked beans, please. <laughs> you also have so much gas. You would not exactly. be able to do. You no, don't know what to do. Yeah. You'll hate me. You'll hate me. <laughs> but think about maybe incorporating a spoonful of beans, you know, a couple times a day, you know, do that kind of thing. Just exposure therapy. You know, you just sometimes have to just go, oh, well, you know, maybe you don't love it, but that's going to be something very important to, to treat yourself medicinally. You would take your medication if the doctor said, take it, you would take it. So maybe, you know, a teaspoon of beans here and there, maybe a couple extra leaves of green. And I think people who can make these switches overnight or almost overnight, they don't need the help. The people who need help are the ones who it's it's daunting for whatever reason, for their tastes or for their comfort or their family support level or just their ability to even imagine what is my life going to look like now without these products, without these foods? Absolutely. And going back to your point about when we recommend just making small incremental changes, one of the things that I ask my patients to do is to keep a food diary. And food diaries are very useful for a lot of reasons. But also I ask my patients to write, how did you feel after you had this meal? So not only writing down everything they're putting in their mouth, but also how do they feel after they eat it? Because it's such a useful tool when you go back to that food diary three weeks later, a month later, and you you see energized, less bloating, better sleep, right? And slowly you start to see, because, you know, sometimes we get busy, we forget, but identifying not only the foods that you're eating, but how these foods are helping you feel is such a powerful tool to 
create long lasting change. And this and these kinds of records, which are so important, are very difficult for most of us to do on our own. The that the accountability of having a coach or an educator or a specialist who checks in with us periodically really makes that kind of structure so much more possible. I know I could never, I would never be able to do a food, a food diary like that without someone saying, hello, Michelle, let's see it. Let's see it. Reminding. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something that I ask them to bring to our sessions because we review it together. Mm. Right. I had a patient come to me and say, Hey, you know, this is what I had and my blood sugar levels were stable and they were good. But then I had grapes and my, my sugar, my sugar spiked to 150, which is, you know, pretty high one, uh, 150 or almost 200. It, it spiked. And I said, well, and then we talk about it. It's like, it's not that the eating fruit is spiking your blood sugar level is having fruit that doesn't have enough fiber in order to slow down that, that, that sugar spike, right? When we have foods that are high in fiber, it helps the body's natural absorption of glucose to go down. So perhaps if you wanted to have a fruit snack in the middle of the day, Let's choose something that has a lower glycemic load. For example, a berry, a raspberries, which are really high in fiber, right? Blueberries, prunes, right? Instead of having the grape, right? It's so that food tracking, that food journal is going to give me a window into what is it that they're doing. Now, grapes are not unhealthy, right? But it's understanding and learning how different foods can affect your body. Right. And then giving them that alternative. That's why I think food journals and food diaries are so powerful because one, we often forget what we had. Right. And we we can often forget how it made us feel. And then if we're trying to reach a goal, which is for this patient was, you know, lowering A1C levels, then these food journals can help us. Right. To be able to tweak things here and there and to understand how our bodies are reacting to certain types of foods as well. And and especially valuable if they can look at those food journals with someone who can help them brainstorm Absolutely. and strategize, or even maybe so when you do notice that your, 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 um, your glucose levels gone up that you take a walk or there's some other kind of thing that you do to help mitigate some of these things. So important to have someone who could realistically help you with those, with, with what you learn. And this, I think is partially why you have your, uh, your monthly community membership now. Yes, I do. Um, and thank you so much for bringing that up because it's really helpful. I, I created this based off of the feedback from the community that I have created on social media. My strongest platform is Instagram and, and that's where I um, have the largest community and just based on their feedback and helping to, to answer so many questions, I created a monthly membership program that is at a very, very, very discounted price because I wanted it to, I wanted to make it accessible to a large community of people. So basically we meet every month, right? And we talk about a trending nutrition topic or, you know, uh, topics that are really important, like understanding diabetes and how can we prevent, uh, you know, 
type two diabetes, or, you know, another month we'll discuss gut health and we'll talk about gut health. And then we'll talk about supplementations, right? Which is such a hot topic, right? Um, debunking myths around different food theories and food trends and things like that. And then we also have cooking classes in this monthly membership where I share a recipe that is easy to make. It's entirely plant-based and I help walk you through making that recipe while teaching you why we chose these ingredients, how to work with these ingredients to achieve X and Y texture, X and Y flavor, X and Y consistency. So I created this because I wanted to create a safe space for our community to feel that they could ask anything, that they can, you know, request information. And most importantly, so that they can build community because especially like you mentioned before, which is so important, if you're the only person in your family that's doing this, sometimes you may not feel as supported and not for any other reason other than maybe the people around you just don't know that much about it, right? So in this community, which I call the Plant-Based Health Academy, the community can ask questions in a forum, right? And I answer those questions daily. They have access to me so that they feel like they have someone to go to that can hold their hand should they have any questions. I created a resource library that has meal plans and shopping lists and healthy snack options and swaps so that basically they feel like they have a go-to place to help them with this transition. So in addition to having the Plant-Based Health Academy, I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, and that's for anyone that's looking for a more personalized approach. We meet every two weeks on Zoom. I review their food journals. We talk about how to implement changes to get them to their specific health goals. Everybody's different. Everybody has different things that they're working on, right? So I offer those two products, one which is in a group setting and the other one, which is in a more personalized one-on-one -on -one setting. And, you know, it really has helped so many of our community members, you know, improve their health heal their relationship with food, and but most importantly, create awareness around the food choices that they're making. Having this educational component is so powerful because when you know better, you do better, right? So if you have the knowledge and you have the information, when you go to the supermarket, it's not going to be so overwhelming and so daunting, right? I imagine also with that, with that extra handholding and extra education, you can be a better advocate for yourself when you're speaking with your healthcare provider in your in your appointments because you can explain and maybe understand what they're telling you a little bit better the nuances that they cannot they sometimes assume you understand or that you're going to go google <laughs> and, right um, and and that you can also maybe explain yourself and what your resistance to it or the or what's working very well um that that just having a little extra fluency in terms of your issues in terms of how you're trying to uh, change your nutrition. That is so true. And oftentimes I say to my patient, tell your doctor that you're working with a nutritionist and, and give me the information that they're giving you. I'm going to help you understand it. And together we're going to come up with a plan. And the doctors are thrilled because it's less work for them so that they can go on and help other people but they feel good in knowing 
that I'm going to hold their hand and like you said, help them understand what is an A1C level? What is considered high? What is considered at risk, right? What should your blood glucose levels be in the morning? What should they be after you eat? Things like that. And just providing that extra level of service and you know, handholding and education and support and accountability is really, really helpful and has proven um, to so many of my patients and clients that, you know, it is possible to reduce the risk of these food-related conditions. And for so many, you know, get them out of that zone where they're at risk of, you know, having to get on diabetes medication, right? Like we, we, we were able to get them out of that risky, you know, part. Now you work with your clients in both English and Spanish? I do. I do. I do. I work with my clients, both in English and Spanish. Uh, For my Spanish speaking patients, I create meal plans and shopping lists, everything in Spanish. And then for my English patients, we do everything in Spanish. So I offer bilingual support for my patients and my clients. Because my listeners typically are are English speakers, but they may have family members or or friends or community members who who are less comfortable in English and might want that level of of, uh, support. Absolutely. It's like sometimes we talk about you want to talk to your doctor and your accountant in your in your mother tongue. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. That's so funny. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Carla Salinari, I wanted to say everybody can find you immediately on on Instagram. And that's at the Latina Health Coach. That's right. Yes. At the Latina Health Coach on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, If you are interested in purchasing a copy of my book, it's all over all major bookstores across the country. So Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, Target, I'll carry the book and it's Abuela's Plant-Based Kitchen, or you can search under my name, Carla with a K, Salinari. And I saw you on Instagram today. You were at Costco. What happened? Uh, Yes. (laughs) So um, my community loves when I do grocery hauls. It's like, it's one of their favorite things because like I say to them, I do the research. I spend the hours at the supermarket. My husband hates it. He hates going shopping with me because I read every single label. So like I say to my community, I do the work so you don't have to. And what I do is that I'll go to popular supermarkets um, and I'll share foods that are on sale and that are good um, choices to bring into your home. So I walk down the aisles and I, I film myself explaining to them not only why is this good, but we I'll usually turn it around and we'll read the food label together and then I'll give you some some examples of ways you can incorporate it. For example, um, uh, there's, you know, great oats and it, it farmers we know is one of my favorite, one of my favorite brands. It's non-GMO. It's um, free of, of glyphosate. It's, it's, so then I talk to them, like a lot of people don't know what glyphosate means, right? And why is it harmful and why we should stay away from it? So I usually kind of give them that little nutrition fact and then we move on, right? And and I just share the products and I do the same thing for Trader Joe's and I do the same thing at Whole Foods and then I do it, you know, at Aldi's or at the supermarkets that I know my community frequents. And that way, when they go to the supermarket, they feel less overwhelmed and they know what they can easily add to their cart and they can use at home. Yeah. 
So everybody, no matter what, you should check out Carla on uh, Latina Coach on Instagram and Facebook because there's some stuff you're going to learn right there. It's going to and it's fun, and you're such a, such a great role model for all of us who are trying to make. Uh, good choices for ourselves and also help our friends and families who, you know, we don't want to beat them over the heads. Sometimes we do want to beat them over the head, but we, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that, Michelle, because we have to meet people where they are. And we have to accept that not everybody is on the same journey. And that's okay. And I have had many, many, many followers that you know, start off kind of questioning everything and then slowly start to come around. And then they'll say, I did meatless Mondays and I felt really good. Or this week, I'm not going to eat meat this entire week. And wow, I felt so good. So I think providing the education, providing the experience, providing the knowledge, and just creating a space that just feels safe is really important. And that's what I do. And I share funny things like my, I have an eight year old that, you know, I'm a mom, I deal with school and drop off and laundry and a busy house. And sometimes I don't feel like cooking. And I, I share my story, I share the real me, right? Because I want people to feel like, hey, this is my friend who's helping me. And, and, and that has proven to really be very beneficial for so many people. And I do it from such a place of love and compassion. And, you know, I may have made this community, my friends, I've run into them at supermarkets. I've run into them at, you know, different places. And they're like, Oh my God, Carla. And, and, and I feel like they're my family. They've become my family too. And, and like I said, it's, it's a beautiful, we created a beautiful community, beautiful community. It's, we're going to let that be the last word. Carla, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today on Veg Your Best. Thank you so much for having me. So, so what did you think of Carla? You know, you can find Carla Salinari instantly on Instagram and Facebook as the Latina Health Coach, the Latina Health Coach, and her 2023 Abuelas Plant-Based Kitchen from Simon & Schuster is available everywhere and anywhere you find books. And her website, her links to her practice, and the new Plant-Based Health Academy, that's all going to be in, the, to, in uh, the show notes for today's episode. Now, in Veg Your Best news, you can look for me on the Organized Coach podcast with Tracy Hoth. And I've mentioned Tracy here and there. Tracy is my fabulous coach. Uh, she's been working with me as I set up my systems this year to rethink, plan, and streamline, I think those are my goals, my, my digital files, especially my digital uh, files, which have been all over the place. And I want to make it a little bit cleaner, faster, easier to support all the content I want to produce for you guys, my Veggie Besties, this year. And of course, in the years ahead. And I'd like to do it while still being a you know, a loving and effective wife, mom, grandmother, friend, citizen. Um, so Tracy Hoth, the Organized Coach Podcast. You can look for me there to see me at my vulnerable self. And on um, on the citizen front, one of my goals is to be a good grandmother, wife, friend, citizen. Okay. what? How are you on the citizen front? You know, you can call and email your elected officials, right? My senators and representatives 
all got a note from me last week. And it's very possible your elected officials need to hear from you. Because when they only hear from us when we vote once a year, our politicians, in their defense, they have to imagine or assume what it is we want from them. And I think we all know that there are squeaky wheels and deep pockets that keep uh, that keep trying to define the conversation and the direction of that conversation in our uh, in our politics. So maybe maybe that's a 2024 habit you'd like to be developing, connecting more often with some of your elected officials. Maybe today all you do is you Google their emails or their office phone numbers and put them into your phone or your email contacts. Um, And maybe you let them know when you're ready what you are looking for them to support or remind them of areas that your community still needs leadership in or problem solving on. I know we're all fully booked. I get it. But maybe today, maybe you just Google one of those people that your tax dollars are supporting, or maybe, maybe like many of us, you've forgotten or aren't quite up to date on who your local official is now. Today could be a great day to find out that one thing. Don't make this hard. Make it powerful. Okay, kids, happy February, and until next week, veg your best. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So until next week, make it easy and veg your best.